Good morning. I hope that was a welcome call that I heard there. That was good. Glad you're with us today, either in person or online. Um, I want to share, we're going to uh, close out our study of the names of God today. Um, and if you notice, uh, as you came in, we made little bookmarks uh, that maybe have helped to you. Um, they're on the stage or on the tables. They're in the ramp area outside. And I share that especially for those who are not yet worshiping in person. If you want to drive by as you grab communion, you can grab one of those as well. Um, the idea is that you can kind of keep that. Uh, put that in your Bible, and if you um, forget some of these, you can have that to uh, um, uh, remind you. Also, we'll share this. Uh, there's several books, and I've mentioned these throughout the study, that I've used to help me in this um, putting these lessons together. Um, in fact, I have one copy that several, uh, several copies of a book uh, from a class left over uh, that was given to me. So if you're interested and you want to know more, you want to study more, um, let me know, and I'd be glad to share some of those copies or some of those titles that would help you. Uh, I shared this quote earlier. I put it on the screen, and I want to share it again today because it fits so well. Tony Evans is one of the books that I used, uh, Power of God's Name. He wrote this, God has a name for every situation we find ourselves in. We need to learn the names of God because when we know his character and his capacity, we will find rest and discover peace and power in his covenantal love for us. He went on to elaborate saying, God knows that when we see him for who he really is, when you discover the character embedded in his name, you will never view life again in the same way. I have found that to be true. And I hope you have as well. So pull out your bulletin, turn to the back, you see the outline there. We've got quite a few names to go through. I've got 30 minutes, folks, so uh, this is going to be fast. Now, if you grab one of these, you've got a cheat sheet. You've got the answers right there. But if not, especially if you miss one or two, this would be a good reminder, and maybe you can fill in the blanks. We began in the beginning, Elohim, which means creator. Elohim is the first Hebrew name of God in the Bible, and it's in the very first verse, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. That's important to know because Elohim is the primary word for God in the Old Testament. It appears over 2,500 times, but it is significant to note it's the only name of God used in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1, 31 verses, tells us about the origin of all things. In 31 verses, Elohim appears 32 times. That makes a statement. Elohim contains the idea of creative power, of omnipotence, of sovereignty. The Elohim of Genesis 1 is a strong creator. He is the source of of everything. The fact that you were born, the fact that you are here today, the fact that God has a plan for you, all of that is essential in his name. Look at Colossians 1.6, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. His name is Elohim. And then we studied Yahweh, or Jehovah. In our English Bibles, it's capital letters, L-O-R-D. Now, it appears first in Genesis 2, like the very next chapter. But it's not explained until Exodus chapter 3. 
If you recall, Exodus 3 is when God appears to Moses in the burning bush with the plan, the goal. He wanted to use Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses was reluctant. You remember that story? And he even asked, who am I? And then he says, well, if they ask me who you are, what's your name? What do I say? And that's where God answers in chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, and you remember this, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, in in English, the Lord, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. So keep this in mind. As a rule, Elohim is primarily used of God when it's talking about nature, when it's talking about creation. Jehovah or Yahweh or capital letters Lord in your Bibles is used when it's talking about the relationship of God with his people. And so you kind of notice the difference there as you read your Bibles. This is the personal name of God. It appears 6,820 times. So it's a favorite. It's his main name. It's the one that he reveals to us. Exodus 34, God describes himself, gives his name twice. Remember, we, we studied this, and again, go back and read it again. The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who God is. This is how God describes himself. He said, this is my name, and this is what the name means. So when you hear the name, when you say the name, when you think of me, this is how you should think of me, as merciful, gracious, abounding in love, faithful, and slow to anger. I hope you do. And then third, El Elyon. What does that mean? Do you remember? God Most High. This name declares that Yahweh was the ultimate God. Now, that was important because back in Bible times, it was sort of like, my God is bigger than your God. And so if you won a victory, that means your God was bigger. And so that was sort of their way of bragging, their way of saying their God is powerful or most powerful or or better than the others. It was common among the pagans that they would build their shrines to their deity, to their gods, on a high place. And so in Scripture, you remember, it's often called the high places. And that is why. Kind of, it elevates them and even elevates them more because they're on the top of the high place, wherever that was in the region. But for the Hebrews, for the people of God, to call him El Elyon, God Most High, It was like, God is even bigger than that. God is even higher than that. El Elyon designates that God, that Yahweh is the sovereign ruler over all the universe. In Genesis 14, it's where Melchizedek comes out to Abraham and identifies himself as a servant, as a priest of El Elyon. And with that, Abraham seems to understand this is the same God that Abraham was calling Yahweh. And I wonder if God knew that we would struggle, even today, with believing that God was the biggest, that God is the best, that God is big enough, that God is able to help me. Because we see verse after verse after verse 
assuring us of this fact. Like Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. Look how it describes God. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. That's how big he is. That's how high he is. If God truly is most high, then everything belongs to him. And if God is most high, then he rules over everything. Here's something else we studied. You will not really know your place until you put God in the right place. His name is El Elyon, God Most High. Which brings us to the next name, Adonai. In our English translations, it's capital L, but lowercase o-r-d, Lord. Or sometimes even Master. Look at the screen. You need to know in the Old Testament when you read all capital letters, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now, we'll read it Lord, but what it's saying there, that's Yahweh, that's Jehovah. That's the Hebrew word. But when only the L is capitalized, that Hebrew word is Adonai. In Genesis chapter 15 is where we find this word Adonai in our Bibles. After these things, verse 1, the word of the Lord Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And notice Abram's reply, verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And you remember that situation. Abraham was desperate. He and Sarah were still barren. And yet, in his desperation, he's still respectful as he addresses his deity, his God, and calls him Lord, calls him Master. And God knew. God knew what Abram was doing, what Abram was saying. And remember, that's the time when God took him out and said, Look at the stars, and so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed. And God said, Counted that as righteousness. Very important moment in all of Scripture. And again, this particular name of God implies a relationship as well. Now, that's not the case of all of God's name. Elohim, there's not a relationship there. You can say he's the creator, but there's nothing to do with me, or at least you could think that way. But Adonai implies a relationship, that he is Lord over someone. It also indicates God's possession. If he's my Lord, he's my master, then I'm his slave. I'm his servant. I belong to him. Remember Jesus' words? Luke 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? A lot of people believe or say they believe in God, but to call him Lord is something else. Number five is El Roy, the God who sees. This is in Genesis chapter 16. This is the context there. Abram Abram and Sarah waiting 10 years, still no baby. You remember the story Sarah gave her handmaid Hagar? To Abram, now that sounds bizarre to us, but that was not uncommon in their culture. But this plan was not God's plan. That's not the way God was going to bring about a child. But even though Hagar became pregnant, Sarah turned on Abram. She turned on Hagar, despised her. The Bible says treated her harshly. We don't know the details, but it was bad enough for this pregnant Egyptian handmaid to run away into the desert with nothing, no one. It's pretty bad. And that's where she finds herself. Imagine this pregnant young woman, not her fault, not her doing, 
no hope, nowhere to turn, and yet she turns to the God who sees. Look at verse 13, Genesis 16. Then she called the name of the Lord Yahweh and spoke to her, and, and who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. In Hebrew, El Roy, for she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? And again, the Bible is full of this teaching about God sees. A couple of examples Proverbs 15 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Even in the New Testament, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his, the eyes of to whom we must give an account. God sees everything. God knows everything. You don't confess your sins to God to reveal something to him. He's already aware. When you confess your sins to God, you're just taking ownership. You're just admitting, yes, I'm guilty of that. But he also knows all the good that you do. Every time you let someone else go first, every time you turn the other cheek, every time you hold your tongue, he sees that too. This all-seeing God also sees your suffering. He knows when you're going through difficulty. He knows when sometimes it's a circumstance that you created, and sometimes, like Hagar, it just happened to you, and you're in a very bad place. We can be transparent and honest with God because he already sees everything. Number six, El Shaddai means God Almighty. That's the way you read it in our English translations, God Almighty. This is the chief name that God was known by the patriarchs. So when you're reading through the patriarchs, especially when they're talking to their children, even if they're grown, maybe on their deathbed, this would be the way they would talk about the God of the heavens. The first time it appears is in Genesis chapter 17. And look, notice how God introduces his name to Abram about his ability to make Abram a father. Chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. When we call God, when we think of God as God Almighty, as El Shaddai, what that means is that we realize that God can do anything that he wants to do. It's consistent with his character, with his nature, with who he is, with what he wants done. I put this on the screen, I believe. Look at how the name kind of breaks out. Is there another slide? Go to the next one. Oh, I didn't put it on the screen. Back up then. Okay. Remember this. I put it on the screen when we studied it. The first part of the name El, it means God. Okay, we've studied that. God can make a sea. God can divide the sea. God made the sun. God can make the sun stand still. God has his own son. He came to earth. God can bring his son back from the dead. This is El. This is a creative power. The El Shaddai part means he's all-sufficient. That's the power that we're talking about there, that we can rely on. Because this name, and, and remember this, it combines his mightiness with his nurturing goodness. This is that Jehovah, that Yahweh that we know, who God loves us so much. He wants the best for us, and he's also so powerful. And you put those two together, this is what El Shaddai means. 
Now let's move on to Jehovah Jireh. Remember what that means? The Lord will provide. Again, it's helpful to remember some background to the name. Jireh in the name there actually means to see. Sometimes in our Hebrew Bibles, Jireh is translated to see. But with this, we've already studied the God who sees, so why is this mentioned in this way? Well, the Hebrew word Jireh is not really used to mean to see in the present. Think of foreseeing, seeing into the future. Remember when God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac, and along the way, Isaac asked, where's the animal to be sacrificed? A question that, how do you answer that, right? Parents, you've had to ask, answer some tough questions. Look at the screen, Abraham's wording, Genesis 22:8. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Literally translated there, it says, God will see for himself a lamb. Now, we use that same wording with see, like we might tell someone, hey, see to it that that gets done. We're not talking about vision, seeing. We're saying, make it happen. It could be a parent talking to a child. It could be someone at work. See, see that it happens. Make it happen. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see that it is done. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord will give you what you need. See, it's one thing to say you believe, you trust in God, but the only way... The only way you know that's true is when your faith is tested. That's what Abraham discovered when he was asked to sacrifice his child. We learn to trust in God's provision that he will provide when we go through trials and difficulties. Next, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals Where do you turn? To whom do you turn when you need healing? His name is Jehovah Rapha. We learn this in Exodus chapter 15. The the people of God were free from slavery. Finally, God had delivered them, but their their first obstacle, they, they came and they had no water to drink. It was bitter, and so they started complaining against Moses. I mean, so quickly, they just turn. The Bible says God tested them. Exodus 15, verse 26. He turned the bitter water to sweet. He says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. As we study this name, we went through story after story where God restored physical health where God restored emotional health, and where God restored spiritual health. Look how Peter echoed Isaiah in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Only Jehovah Rapha can bring ultimate healing. And then number nine, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord, my banner. We pledge allegiance first to God. He is mine. He is our colors. He is our flag. He is our banner. We learn this in Exodus chapter 17. 
So their first obstacle was the bitter water. Their first opposition was the Amalekites. You remember this battle when as long as Moses held his, his arms up, they won, they were winning. And when his arms went down, they were losing. So Aaron and Hur came alongside and held up Moses' hands and they won the battle. Look at Exodus 17, verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the message is clear. They only won because God made it happen. So we pledge allegiance to Jehovah Nisi. He is our banner. And there's so many applications for this. Because just like the children of Israel making their way into this land, having enemies they had to overcome, we too have enemies. Think how throughout Scripture our spiritual journey is kind of paralleled with the children of Israel. So we study it so much because we're trying to get to the promised land, and we too have an enemy that's trying to keep us out, doesn't want us to get there. But just like the Hebrews, we have to acknowledge that we cannot survive. We will not win this spiritual warfare in our own power. Again, think of all the fighting and the war metaphors in Scripture. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If Jehovah Nisi is our strength, when you know God is that way, that whatever you're going through, however the enemy may, the enemy may be attacking you, this name implies victory. He is going to be there for you. We affirm 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then number 10, Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who makes you holy. We find this name in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you. Now I'm wondering if I put this on the screen. Can you go to the next screen? Yeah, there it is at the bottom of that one. Yeah. Look at the words holy, sanctify, saint, and set apart. We read those throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, from the same Hebrew or Greek words, Kadesh or Hagios. We think of those differently, but really it's the same concept. That's what God does for us. We need to remember holiness is an essential attribute of God. It is, it is who He is. That's why this name is so revealing. Isaiah 6.3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So God is holy, but He also demands holiness from His people. Exodus, I mean, Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. I think 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says it well. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Jehovah Shalom. You know what that means. The Lord of peace. Judges 6 is where we read of this name. The chapter open describes how the children of Israel, the people of God, had turned their back on God, so he allowed the Medians to overpower them. And the situation was so bad that they had resorted to living in the mountains in caves. And even when they tried to plant a crop before they could harvest it, their enemies would come in and, and take all the produce. 
It was terrible. They were, they were thinking what you and I think and often say, life is not fair. It was not going well for them at all. And so God appeared to young Gideon in verse 12. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And what we love about Gideon, and especially his response, is because, he's, again, he's respectful of God, but he's, but he's real. And God wants that of us, be respectful, yes, but you can be real with him. What Gideon says, Judges 6, 13. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? You ever ask that of God? God, if you're here, God, if you're listening, God, if you love me, then why is this happening to me? It's a good question to ask. Gideon and all the people needed to realize that the root cause for their lack of peace was not their circumstances. It was that they had abandoned God. It was a spiritual problem. And we're no different today. Look at Judges 6, verse 22 and 24. And Gideon says, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Gideon came to understand the truth that, folks, we still wrestle to accept this truth. That peace is not the absence of conflict, it is the presence of God. That is peace. You'll never find peace waiting for life to become fair. Peace comes from knowing Jehovah Shalom. Here's another concept that I've got to put in here. You must have peace with God to have the peace of God. Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Sabaoth is the Hebrew word for hosts. So when you read Jehovah Sabaoth, actually it means the Lord over the host. Sometimes, depending on your translations, it might be rendered Lord Almighty. And with that again is the promise of victory. Here's something else that I think is interesting. As you notice, we're kind of going through this as they appear in Scripture, and we spent so much time in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But this name doesn't appear there. In fact, it doesn't appear in, in Joshua or Judges or Ruth. Scholars will tell you it might be the most popular name of God in the prophets. This name, Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth. 88 times in Jeremiah, Zechariah 55 times, Malachi 25 times, Haggai 12 times, even two chapters, 12 times. Why? Because this name is a name of hope for people who had none. And a good example of that, one of the ways we learn this name is a young woman named Hannah. Remember Hannah and her husband every year would go to the tabernacle and they would pray so earnestly for a child. They wanted so much to, to, to have a child. Look at her prayer, 1 Samuel 1, verse 10 through 11. And notice how she addresses God. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. So in her deep pain... In her agony, in her desperation, she makes a, a vow and begins by acknowledging God's ability. 
Knowing who he is helps us, especially in our own times of need. Do you remember David stood out from the rest of the army because when Goliath was threatening him, he was the only one that was confident. you remember? Everybody else was shuddering away. Go back and read it in all the text. But I want you to notice his wording. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 and 47. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's confidence. That's faith. That's boldness. That's knowing who your God is. I hope we can all say with the psalmist, Psalm 84, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Next is Jehovah Ra'al, the Lord, my shepherd, David said the secret to finding a life that we're all looking for is knowing God as our shepherd. I think Psalm 23 is a favorite for a reason. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know why you're protected in the dark valley? Because you're not alone. He's right there with you. And the psalm ends, verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise. And then Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. We learned this name in Jeremiah chapter 23. The chapter begins with with God describing how bad things were for the people of Israel. Their spiritual leaders basically had failed them. Look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. This name is important because it basically helps us to understand our salvation. I guess if there's a lesson I'd say to go back and listen to, other than the, the one on Jehovah or Yahweh, if you missed that one, go back and listen to this one. Because this one helps us to understand how we're saved. If you've ever been mixed up thinking that salvation is is a matter of scales, that you do more good than evil, and that's how you get into heaven, you don't read that in Scripture. You don't learn that from the Bible. That's not the way Scripture teaches us. The name tells us that righteousness is in God's character. God is not made righteous because of something that He does. God is righteous. He is the standard. God's going to do right whether we do right or not. God's going to do right if we do right. God's going to do right if if we do wrong. God is right. That is who he is. That is his name. That's his nature. And our righteousness must come from God and not ourselves. And this is something else to just remember as you think about his name. The Lord, our righteousness. Think about what the name says. The name does not say you are righteous because you're not. The name does not say God is righteous, 
although he is. What the name says is God is going to be your righteousness. That's the promise. That's what's happening here. Look how Peter explains it, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. This appears one time in the Bible, in Ezekiel, the last book, the last verse of the, of the book, Ezekiel 48, 35. And the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there, Jehovah Shema. God said to Joshua, I think of this verse among many that just kind of communicate this God being with us. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Which brings us to the last one in our list, Emmanuel. Do you know what that means without even looking? I hope you do. God with us. I love this name because of what it means. But again, this language is throughout the Bible. We've mentioned several of them already. God told Moses, I'll be with you. God told Joshua, I'll be with you. God told Gideon, I'll be with you. We see that over and over again. But the actual name Emmanuel appears only three times in the Old Testament. And all in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and 8. But what we remember, Emmanuel, is in the New Testament. When the angel appeared to Joseph, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And think about what happened in the revealing of this name. Because God, we think of, he, he's up in heaven. So how can God up in heaven relate to what we're dealing with down earth experientially? He's not been in my shoes. He's not lived my life. He he doesn't know what it's like to be in this situation. Now, yes, God is all-knowing, and God can be everywhere, but there's a part of us that we disconnect from the God and say, well, yeah, but you're up there in heaven, and you're not down here dealing with these difficulties. But when God came in the flesh as Jesus... Jesus can relate. Jesus knows what it's like. Because he was born of a woman. And he walked this earth. He knows the good and the bad. He knows the struggles. He can relate to our pains. He can relate to our experiences. Jesus can relate to everything we're going through. That's why when you think of him as being our advocate, he he is our, our intercessor. He is the one who who bridges the gap between us and the Father. He understands. I hope you've marked Hebrews 4, 15 in your Bible. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He understands. But not just that, Emmanuel also supplies confidence that Jesus will never abandon you. That was his promise, remember? I will never leave you. Christians do not go through anything alone. Emmanuel says, I'm in your corner. I'm on your side. I'm pulling for you. I want you to make it. I'm right here with you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. 
what can man do to me? I don't know how to summarize this. I thought, I need a story. I need a really good illustration. I don't have anything. But I'm going to leave you with this. God's name, all of them, is a call to trust. Do you trust God? Do you know who he is? Do you believe what he says? Because basically, all of this is saying, God is saying, if you will learn who I am, if you know how I think, if you know how I love you, if you know how much I want you to make it, if you could believe that I'm always with you, if you could understand how much it costs for me to send my son to die for you, if you knew how much I care, David was absolutely right when he wrote Psalm 910, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's been at the bottom of every outline. So on the front of your bookmark, I hope all of us will grow to trust the Lord more. This morning, if you need prayer to help you in your trust and your walk with the Lord, we want to help you. Or if you're ready to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we always have the water ready. Would you come as we stand and sing to encourage you? Oh, Lord.